You are now tuned in to the Decoding Success Podcast, where we reveal game-changing habits, formulas, and routines from the world's most successful individuals to help you think and live larger. What is going on? It is your host, Matt Labrie, and you are rocking with us here on the Decoding Success Podcast. And I'm going to kick this off with a quote that is mentioned within this episode. You can't save the world, but you can change it one person at a time. Now, I'm bringing that up because the individual that we are hosting today is a world saver. He is a game changer, nonetheless, and he worked to save our country in multiple different roles in his life, whether that was the actual service he did in our military and armed forces or with the FBI. But before introducing him to all of you today, I just want to point out that the quote along the lines of time flies when you're having fun is so damn true because I'm thinking about it. We are at the end of the first month of 2020 already. That is absolutely insane. But you want to know what? I have been having so much fun putting out content on this show for all of you. And you want to know what? Not only have we been sticking consistently to our interviews and you want to know what? Our amazing guests, shout out to all of them, such as this individual today and all else that we've hosted on this show, but also the new type of discussion we've brought to this show, our roundtable discussions with my inner circle of uber successful individuals It seems to be such an amazing hit with a lot of you, all of the feedback on social, all of the sharing, all of the text, all of the emails. Honestly, I'm just really grateful for that. I wanted to point it out. I've been having so much fun and I'm grateful that it's been resonating with you on a super high level. And I want to let you know that nothing is going to change except the improvement and the continuous scaling of this show and the content. So I just want to say thank you, express my gratitude for you tuning into yet another episode, rocking with us yet another month, continuously growing with us, sharing, et cetera, et cetera. I am truly, truly so grateful for that. And to that point, today, I want to introduce to you our guest, Robin Dreek, who is a best-selling author, professional speaker, trainer, facilitator, and the thing that I love most about him, he is a retired FBI special agent and chief of the Counterintelligence Behavioral Analysis Program. Robin has taken his life's work of recruiting spies and broken down the art of leadership, communication, and relationship building into five steps to trust and six signs of who you can trust. Now, since 2010, Robin has been working with large corporations as well as small companies in every aspect of their business, whether it is newly promoted leaders, executives, sales teams, or customer relations, Robin has crafted his people formula for quick results and maximum success. And in today's episode, we are diving into a lot of that. We're talking about his top characteristics and traits and tactics of how he was selling spies how he was selling and recruiting spies. It's absolutely incredible, the interesting stories he has to share with us. On top of that, we're talking about shifting from oneself onto others, how we're hardwired and how we could reprogram ourselves. Listen, the list absolutely goes on. And one, actually, one more thing. We talk about six signs of predictive behavior. Now, Who the hell doesn't want to be able to predict behavior? It's almost as if you could read minds when you're able to predict behavior. The list of endless knowledge in this episode goes on, and you want to know what? I am so excited to deliver it to you. So to that point, we actually wouldn't be able to deliver this episode to anyone without our amazing partner, which is actually my branding agency, 1B Branding. We partnered up with my own team to be able to deliver this episode to you, and you want to know what? We have an amazing incentive to share with all of you. If you are looking to level up your business or your personal brand this year in 2020, you need to be reaching out to us because we are doing a complimentary brand audit for anyone that's tuned into this episode. Now, this offer isn't going to last long, so make sure you're acting on it right away. All you have to do is either head over to our website, download the free ebook, which is there. Again, wow, that's another incentive. I, I didn't even mean to plug that, but download that free ebook so that we can get your contact information and reach out to you directly so that we're able to talk about this. You can head over to onebebranding.com, which you can find in the show notes of this episode. But on top of that, if you're like, you know what? I already got that ebook. I need to get in touch with you right away. You could also find our email address, which is info at onebbranding.com. Put in the subject line. I need help. I want your help. Something along those lines that says, hey, you are from the damn podcast and we are here to work with you. I promise you that. And again, this is totally complimentary. We're not asking for anything. There are zero strings attached. We just want to be able to help you level up your brand, identify ways that we could work together, et cetera, et cetera. So make sure you are getting over to those show notes 
notes and taking us up on this amazing offer while it lasts. And now without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Robin Dreek. Robin, first and foremost, super excited to have you as one of our first guests of 2020. So thank you for joining us today. Man, I can't thank you enough. And uh, yeah, I got goosebumps when you just said it. Uh, I've been lining up and uh, today's been a day of first for 2020. So uh, congrats and uh, congrats on having such a great show. I appreciate it, man. Listen, first question straight off the bat for you is how do you personally define success? You know, it's it's a great one. And I think over time it's changed and evolved um, from when I was a 20-year-old self-centered narcissistic ass to, uh, <laughs> to who I became today. Um, I define success by the level and depth of healthy relationships a person has. Wow, that's amazing. Now, all right, so let's break that down a little bit. Sure. I want to know what your definition of success was back in high school. Who was Robin in high school? What did he want to do back then? You know, what were the values? That's another great question. I love. Um, so back in high school, I had, uh, you know, it's so funny. I got that new movie coming out on uh, the next Top Gun. Uh, well, when I was in high school, Top Gun had just come out when I was graduating. And so I wanted to go to the Naval Academy, become an aerospace engineer, become a Navy pilot, test pilot, astronaut. Not. Um, that's who Robin Dreek was back in high school. And I got to the Naval Academy, barely. It took me an extra year to get in. Aerospace engineering didn't work out so well because I didn't have the 50-pound brain and uh, I wound up going Marine Corps instead of Naval Aviation. <laughs> so everything kind of went sideways. You know, but back then, you know, I have this very type A hard-charging personality, and I really didn't understand what leadership and life was about. I thought it was about accomplishing things. And sure, things are great to accomplish, but what I realized later in life as leadership and interpersonal communication dialogue really rose at a higher level for the things I did as I finished my career with the FBI, I realized that everything, achieving all those things, yeah, you got to have the genetics and biology and hard work ethic, but without relationships, you can't achieve any of those things. And so it really kind of took that shift from making myself look good to being a resource for making others look good and be successful. So they want me part of their team and they want to be part of my team. So it really kind of shifted from myself to others and seeing the massive benefits of doing that. How do you, or how would you suggest one make that shift from the focus being on ourself to others? Now, it's something that I'm personally trying to do. And listen, I, I mean, I'm a work in progress here. So we at the end are. of the day, yeah, we all are, right? I mean, 27 years old, I'm trying to step more and more into a leadership role by being able to host amazing individuals like yourself and speaking across the country, things of that nature. So how would you suggest someone shift that perspective or whatever you want to call it from self to others? So there, there's a couple things I think are really critical and easy that someone can start doing right away. Cause I mean, no kidding. When I first started in the Marine Corps, you know, my, I was ranked last out of all the second lieutenants and this Marine Corps major told me, you just need to be a better leader and need to make it about everyone else but yourself. And I'm like, all right, I thought I was how, and he goes, I don't know, just do it. And so it really took me figuring out exactly these behavioral things to add to myself. I didn't have, people can't change who you are, but can add things to yourself. And so I think the first thing I, I really have is I have these three really deep rooted anchors. I call them ends goals of, of making sure that every time I speak or about to interact with someone that I'm thinking first and foremost is what I'm about to say or do going to help or hinder a professional healthy relationship because nothing else can follow without it. Second, I'm going to use open, honest communication and transparency with that person because you cannot have that healthy relationship without that. And third, this is the critical leadership part of the anchor. And it's not leadership like CEO leadership. This is leadership from the point of it's anyone that has a goal and a destination in place and they have a plan on how to get there. That's leadership. And so my third is this, be an available resource for the prosperity and success of others without expectation or reciprocity. That is really key because you're making yourself available, not saying you're imposing yourself in their lives for the success and prosperity of others. In other words, every human being on this planet is very predictable. Here's why. Because everyone is always acting in their own best interest for their safety, security, and prosperity. So if you make yourself available to that for others, you start building that relationship. And the key here to keep it out of the realm of manipulation or any quid pro quo that could be interpreted negatively is no expectation of reciprocity. So when you focus and shift things to those things first and foremost, all the other things you're trying to achieve, like a successful podcast, like um, being a resource for someone at work, they all start falling in place. And so with those three anchors, how do you start executing that? 
Now with your daily interactions with people, I always say start incorporating these two things consciously. Seek their greatness. Instead of poking at what they're bad at and the insecurities of others and the things that drive you nuts, seek to find where they're awesome because everyone's got it. And it might not be work, you know, so that's why you got to get to know people. In other words, if you can in- incorporate curiosity about others into who you are, that's going to help. And second, all human beings were hardwired to always talk in terms of our own priorities. So if you as an individual make a conscious effort to try to understand the priorities of others and start putting that into your language when you're talking to them and being a resource to those priorities, I'm telling you, your relationships are going to start shifting. People are going to want you on their team. People are going to want to be on your team. And that was the golden key uh, that really started changing things around. That is absolutely awesome. Those three points are huge. And I think you really hit the nail on the head with not only all of them, but one of them stood out to me the most, which was number three, being a resource without expectation. I absolutely yes. love that. But that, le- Robin, that leads me to a question that I have to ask here in regards to shifting from self to others and being a leader. Oftentimes we hear that our glass needs to be full before we could fill anyone else's glass. Is that something you agree with? Yeah. And to me, again, I think everyone interprets words different according to their own context. And so my context of what I hear when I heard that is you have to be good with yourself first. In other words, you have to let go of your own insecurities because it's our own insecurities, which is defensiveness because we feel like we're going to be ostracized from the group or the tribe, which again, we're hardwired to become part of. So as soon as we let go of the fear of our own insecurities, fear of rejection, fear of loss, fear of change, then you can look at the world with a very calm mind. I call it crazy brain because if we have crazy brain going, which is emotional hijacking, stress, anxiety, resentment, discontentment, we don't have clarity of thought for one thing because we're in fight or flight mode. And the second thing is you you don't see the healthy relationships and people around you that can actually get you to the destination you're trying to go to because you become very myopic on how you're trying to go there. So yes, if you can start with yourself first, and let go of all those things that make us insecure, that'll help you interact much more with others. Now, from a very general context here, what is your suggestion to be able to let go of those insecurities? And I know you just mentioned hardwiring. And I mean, we, we see it all the time, right? Like you mentioned being a part of the tribe that goes all the way back thousands yeah. of, yes. you know, thousands of years. Yep. So how do you know, what's your suggestion in regards to, you know, rewiring ourselves? So the big thing is, you know, I did this years and years ago. I remember when I, first of all, if you ever want to get used to uh, getting slammed, do things like a podcast, because I'm sure, you know, I know you probably have a, a million and one people giving you positive reviews and you're going to focus on that one person that doesn't. <laughs> and so of course. And what you got to realize though, is as soon as you do or vocalize anything to the world around you and the tribe around you, some are going to be against you and some are going to be for you. It's just a natural state of being. So First of all, just realizing that. But I did something, I remember this years back in 2005 when I transferred from New York to Norfolk. I remember I, I, my kids gave me this, this leather-bound journal, you know, like a blank page journal. And I'm like, what the hell am I going to do with this journal? And so I kind of tucked it away in my bag. But along with it, they, they wrote a little note in there uh, and a little picture they drew of themselves, you know, when they're like – preschool, not preschool, they were uh, elementary school level. And it was, it warmed my heart when I saw it. And I remember I had a bad day at work where someone was judging me and I felt like I was being ostracized. You know, it was a typical day we all generally have. And I remember I fumbled through my uh, briefcase that day looking for something, you know, that I needed a pen or something. And I came across the journal I put in there. I hadn't wrote anything in it. But when I opened the front cover, it all said was, Dad, I love you, um, Caitlin and Kevin. And that little picture, I think, kind of warmed my heart and reminded me, you know, that there are people that do love me unconditionally no matter what. So what I did was I started taking all those moments in life, whether it was a birthday card, retirement card, an email someone sent me, a text somewhere where someone valued me. And I started shoving it in that book, even if it's an event that I recorded down. And I started what I call the validation notebook. And because if on those days where you kind of lose your way and start feeling down and bad about yourself, at least you have a, a reservoir of, of things you can read and remember that people valued you for in that moment. And so that, you know, it's funny, I haven't talked about that in a lot of years, but since you asked the question, that that's, I think is a great first step. And then as you do these things, the other thing I let, I let go to, because here's a great thing about being a human being. We have the power to adjust how we want to see the world. And so instead of fearing loss and fearing change and trying to hold on tight, which creates that crazy brain, I always look at it like this. I consciously shifted it to, 
I'm not losing something. Something ended because I must have mastered it. I meant to move on to something else and try to master that. So you let go of that fear of loss. Embrace the change because it's changing because you're done learning what you're going to learn from it. Move on and embrace that. So those are the two things I think were uh, uh, my biggest shift for shifting from trying to control the world around me, which you can't. Right, right. That's amazing. First and foremost, that first piece was super actionable. Number one, when it came down to that validation notebook, I absolutely love that. That is mine's, mine's uh, filled the room upstairs. It's literally I just cleaned out my office. It's sitting in my desk drawer, and it's funny I haven't looked at it in years because again I hadn't had, had to. But it's it's a one fat book. <laughs> I love that. That's that's freaking awesome, man. Now going back to your journey, I know I know we went off topic there, not even off topic, but uh, on a little tangent, and that's you know the best part of this show. So I want to talk about the Naval Academy. What was the influence to go into the Naval Academy? Um, we actually had a neighbor of ours, um, no, no, a family friend. He had been a, uh, I mean, he was a United Airlines pilot at the time that we knew him. And he had a really neat house. He had an in-ground pool. He had three boys. They're great boys, great family. And he had been an A-4 Skyhawk pilot during the Vietnam War off the Oriskany. He had been shot down, not shot down. He had ejected in the ocean. He survived that. And his I Love Me room, his office in his house was filled with all these amazing pictures. He's an airline pilot. And I was just like that, you know, him in his uniform. There was something about it that, you know, inspired me to want to serve. And then also, you know, then, the, you know, <laughs> I don't like doing political things at all. But the president at the time when I was in high school was Ronald Reagan. And he is all about self uh, service and selflessness to others and patriotism. I had no idea about politics. And so you, you, you put those two things together and I was like, I got to go to Naval Academy because there's no other choice. And also not having any money to go anywhere else that it was uh, literally that or, or uh, working, working locally because there was no other options financially for me. So that, that was the goal. And again, it was time the time with the space program was really getting ramped up again with the space shuttle. I mean, all those things were so cool to me. I just wanted to do all that. Right. I think it's so incredible how proximity could have such an influence on us, especially when we're younger. Like I think about it all the time. I mean, my next door neighbor was a Yankee fan, but my dad was a Met fan and I would bounce back between the two. And the <laughs> next thing you know, I ended up to be an Atlanta Brave fan because they were always beating the Mets. But that's a whole other story. It's just incredible how much proximity. No, had- no, no kidding. Because, you know, being a fellow New Yorker, you're either a generally a Yankee Giant fan or a Met Jet fan. Well, because my high school football coach loved the New York Jets, I am a Yankee Jet fan, especially being a Jet fan for the last 20, 30 years, you got to be a real fan to stay with it. <laughs> right. Now, let me ask you, what, what do you uh-huh. think it is that proximity has such, you know, influence over us, especially from a younger age, but even like, even, I mean, at, at any age, it could still have an influence our environment. So what do you think that is? Well, the proximity depends on what these people are doing with the interaction with you. So what all human beings, it's a great segue, by the way, what all human beings are seeking and craving is to be affiliated with others and to be valued both by those same groups. And because our, again, go back to your genetic coding. If you weren't part of the tribe and valued by the tribe, the likelihood of our, us passing on our genetic coding to us others was slim to none. Our survival right. rate drops immensely if you're not affiliated with and valued by others. And so what happens is the people in your proximity, if they valued you and wanted to affiliate with you, they're the ones you're going to pay attention to and you're going to seek their approval and want to emulate them. And no kidding, this this great family that the airline pilot and everything, every time we got together, they were always so kind to me. They're always so encouraging of me. They thought I was such a good young man. You know, all those things they did, I was like, oh my God, these people think I'm really awesome. And anytime I had an idea of doing something or I was asking him about what it was like being there, I remember, I mean, this is so funny. I haven't had this memory in a million years. I think I was like five or six years old and I had gotten a one of those, you know, model airplane, matchbox model airplanes, and it was like a 747, I think. And he had, he was flying a DC-8. And I remember bringing that to his house and asking him what he thought about this model airplane. And he he was so patient looking at it, looking how the little landing gear up and down. He goes, oh, man, this is a really, really good model. He goes, you know, you could die. And all he said was you could fly one of these one day, I bet. You know, so it's all those little things where someone pays attention and values you because all human beings, again, they're seeking to be valued by others and affiliated. So I have these four things you can add to your language, whether you're speaking or writing, to make it about others. Seek the thoughts and opinions of others. Value them and don't judge them. 
talk in terms of their priorities and empower them with choices. You do one of those four things and everything you say, and I guarantee you their dopamine in their brain is flown, oxytocin, serotonin, all the pleasure centers are firing in their brain because their brain is saying, this person is good for me because they want to affiliate, they're being valued. It's all those years ago when the Marine Corps major said to me, just make it about everyone else but, a, but yourself. He didn't know how to do that. He was just doing it. He's a natural born leader. Us, us morons like me that didn't know how to do it, I had to learn it. So the, those four things is what makes it about someone else. You seek their thoughts and opinions. You talk in terms of their priorities. You validate those thoughts and opinions and who they are without judging them. And you empower them with choices. Any one of those four things or all of them in anything you say and do, I guarantee you you're going to have a relationship. A hundred percent. Now to that point, how do you remain authentic while doing that? Right. And <coughs> this is someone that's in business. So, you know, there's times, yeah. uh, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, clients talk and sometimes I'm just zoning out. I'm like, you know, I, I really don't care about this. And that's just me be, being fully transparent here. So how do you remain authentic throughout, you know, hitting on those one through four different points? First of all, you just did it. You were just transparent in what you're actually thinking. Right. Authent being authentic means you're transparent about what's going on. Second thing that helps a lot, we mentioned once already, was curiosity. Instill curiosity about other people in you. You know, so, someone asked me this the other day. You know, it's like, how do you care about others? You know, how do you get over that authenticity thing? I said, shift it. You, you don't, you can't change who you are you know, hardwired for, but you can add things. And if you add a curiosity about others, instead of judging them, be curious about how they became who they were. How did they find themselves in this place in life? I mean, in this, I mean, my muscle memory was years and years of, you know, dealing with people that had committed espionage and things like that. You know, how do you not judge them when you're trying to inspire them to confess to you? <laughs> you know, you better, or they're not going to confess if you're, they're sitting there judging them. So I'd be curious. And then the other thing is, you know, have, I call it congruence, have be congruent between what you say and the emotion you have, because people pick up on that incongruence, which comes across as a creepy car salesman. Right. No, a hundred percent. So back to your journey here, what was it that piqued your interest in becoming a special agent with the FBI? Was there a particular event or person? Um, that was, it was again, one of those things that came, came, came out of nowhere. I was, uh, my last duty station Marine Corps was, uh, Paris Island, South Carolina. I was a series commander down there in charge of recruits. And um, I then went up to depot scheduling and operations, where I was one of the people that helped write the crucible and the culminating event at boot camp. I was a captain in the Marine Corps. They're about to transfer my wife and I out to Okinawa. I wasn't really excited about doing that. My wife and I were talking about wanting to have a family. And, you know, so we were thinking about getting out. Well, we had a guy, a guy that came down to uh, Paris Island. Um, he was in the, he was FBI and he was a recruiter and he came down and he grabbed all the captains that were thinking about getting out and said, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I think former Marines make fantastic special agents in the FBI. You come with me and I'll do the best I can to get you in. And I only had two questions for him because I had no idea what the FBI did. You know, all the things I wanted up doing, people always ask me, how do you become chief of the FBI counterintelligence behavioral analysis program? I said, that was easy. I failed at everything else I did. Um, <laughs> but he comes right. down and I had two questions. I really had no idea what the FBI did. So these are my bench, benchmark question was my first one was how many people make it to retirement? In other words, how many people join as agents and stay to retirement? Meaning it must be a good job. He said 95 to 98% of the people that start finish. I was like, wow, that's a high percentage. So they must like the job. Okay. And then my second question was, does all my military time count towards my retirement? So I went lose. and he goes, yes, you can buy back all your military time. So I was like, I'm in. <laughs> I really had no other, there was no other thing in my mind. It's about as honest as I can. Like when I came in, there's a lot of people that their lifetime goals to be in the FBI. Mine was, it was another way to be patriotic to my country, be of service to my country. That was really all I cared about. Yeah. Listen, first and foremost, I just want to express my gratitude toward you for, you know, serving the country. I, I you know, I'm big on that. My grandfather was a man of service himself. So I, you know, it's in the blood. I absolutely love that. And I'm curious because maybe I don't necessarily know, and I don't want to judge it off the movies, but what was your day to day like in the FBI? Um, very different every day. You know, so my job every day, I, I call it the, the toughest sales job in the, in the world, I think. So my job, especially when I was in New York was to recruit spies. 
And who are spies? Well, spies are generally foreign diplomats that are here under diplomatic cover, and their job is to collect intelligence gaps of, or information gaps that their country gives them. <clears throat> My job was recruit them. And what, what's recruitment? Recruitment is merely selling a product to someone and hoping they buy it. My product is I'm selling U.S. patriotism. And my, and my only customer I could sell patriotism to, which was my job, was these foreign spies. And so the first challenge is, all right, I have to sell something to something. I mean, how often do you think a foreign spy wants to buy American patriotism? <laughs> That's the first right. challenge, right? The second challenge was, by treaty, it, it was illegal for me to actually initiate contact with these foreign diplomats that are spies. And so not only am I selling a product that they probably don't want to buy, but the second challenge was, you know, it's illegal for me to even try to sell it to them. And so, yeah, that, that creates a, a massive challenge. So my job every day was to sell this product. So I, and it's, it's as rare as hitting lotto if you actually get someone on board. So I call, so my job every day was I call it to buy the lotto ticket, basically to buy or create an opportunity to figure out how I can sell my product and how do you sell any product? It's very simple. If I, if I identify the priorities and needs that someone has and I have a resource I can offer in terms of those priorities, they might want it. And so it's the same thing here. So if I could identify which one of these folks had needs and priorities for their family, maybe it's a dying wish of a father, a grandfather, a loved one that their children wouldn't grow up under some oligarch or some you know horrible regime and they wanted a better life for their children – well, that's, that's something I can, might be able to help with. And I can share my priorities of what my country is looking for in reciprocity for my product. And we can discuss whether that's doable or not. So basically my, my daily job was to go in, um, identify who the foreign intelligence officers were and do the best I could through all sorts of resources. Most of the resources we use are people, people that knew them, people who interacted with them and try to find out whose priorities might overlap with ours. And see right. if I could find a way to offer them my product. So going back to what you mentioned earlier, point three, you mentioned being a resource without expectations. How yes. does that tie in or how does that kind of balance out here when you were kind of going into this sale as, uh, you know, looking for a win-win, right? And even exchange sure. away. Sure. And, and you know what? This is another thing that this whole process taught me. Sometimes on a very, very rare occasion, someone's going to want to buy that product after a couple of meetings. Right. If you, even if you can get to the meeting and other, and, but it's not up to you. It's always up to them. I have been involved in operations that have spanned 20 years where you create that first engagement, you create that first, you know, you share beer, you share, you know, chat about your family, you talk about your kids and you realize at the end of the day, we're not going to have an agreement, but you know what? Next time you get posted in the United States, I'm going to look you up and you know what? We'll see if your life's changed in any way. See if any of your priorities have changed and I can share mine again with you. I have literally met with a couple people that have spanned decades and because you never know, you know, sometimes you're going to make a sale right away. And sometimes it might take you 20 or 30 years because when you're working at that high level and that product that um, is, is so important, like protecting the national security, the United States, you're willing to play a long game. So it really comes down to them and their, and their tempo. A hundred percent. So what do you feel like made you, or let's frame it this way. What do you feel like were three of your characteristics or traits or tactics in being successful in selling? Now you kind of mentioned two, but I'm going to try and see if there's any more here. You mentioned consistency and continuously showing up as, you know, just mentioned playing the long game. You also mentioned understanding the needs and priorities of others, but is there anything else that you feel made you successful as a salesman in that sense? I really think, but I, I really, I, I validated them. I never judged them at all. I, I, when, when you put curiosity in there and you start to understand why someone is who they are and it's, you know, that, that old adage, you know, walk a mile in someone else's shoes and see what decisions you'd make. It's very true, you know? And so I, I really think being, being very curious about these other human beings I mean, because I mean, not just with recruiting spies, but you know, one of the things that I don't, the rest of the world doesn't probably know as much is anytime a conflict in the world breaks out anywhere and the United States is involved, generally the FBI has to go out and interview everyone from that country in our country, trying to look for any tips, leads, advice, guidance you know, that we can use to help protect troops on the ground and help influence, you know, our foreign policy regarding that situation. And so 
I remember when the Iraq war broke out, I was still in New York and we had an interview every Iraqi that was on a visa or was immigrant or something. And if you go into someone's house or call them on the phone or knock on a door and all you're doing is looking for a conversation and trying to see if someone's willing to have a relationship. If you go into that with any kind of preconceived notion or judgment of them or their background or who they are, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> you're going to get a door right. slammed in your face and you're done. So you start building up a lot of muscle memory about being curious and realizing that, you know, every, every human being you engage is ultimately their own reality show. And I love reality shows. So I just, I, I keep diving in every time I find one. <laughs> well, listen, I, I'm going to have to tie this into your new book here because, you know, sure. talking about your experience with the FBI. Now I just have a million and one questions about, you know, about what you've been through with this. So um, you have a new book coming out, Sizing People Up, a veteran FBI agent's user manual for behavior prediction. Now I shared this question with you before we actually started recording this episode. So if you could share one or only choose one experience from your tenure with the FBI, what do you feel like that experience would be in regards to being able to tell? you know, say to someone, Hey, this is a book you need to read. You know, it's funny when you ask me that I'm thinking, what would it be? Um, you know, if you're going experience wise, you know, I think one of the most compelling stories in the book is again, everything in the book is fictionalized because these are real people and real events. Matter of right. fact, and matter of fact, the individual I'm thinking about is, uh, in the book, his name's Anon. And it was the one uh, story about basically, yeah, I don't like over dramatizing it, but you know, when I'm working on the book, you know, it's basically preventing world war three between a couple nuclear powers, uh, not too long after nine 11 that no one really knew about because we, I was part of helping deescalate, um, that situation, you know, before it ever got to the point where news and media found out about it. And it came down to, you know, I had a brand new confidential human source that, the last person, the last agent didn't have a great interaction with. And he was introducing me to this, this other foreigner, Anon, um, from, from somewhere, you know, in the middle East that was going to kind of be a back channel between their country and our country. And, and, you know, this is on the fly right after nine 11, where we're not allowed to work anything, but 9-11 stuff. And it was, it was just a big mess. And here I had about five years in the FBI and no one trusted you to do anything because you're so young. Um, but I had this opportunity to, you know, make this judgment call. And I, I, that's why it's sizing people up. You know, can I reasonably predict what you're going to do? Can I, can I, you know, take action on the information you're providing. And so it was in those moments where you're, you're, you're using instinct and you're doing all the things that people do. Do I like this guy? Not like this guy, all those subjective things that can really steer you down a rough road, but it came down to, you know, that's it's kind of where I started forming my six signs of predicting behavior. But really the attempt, the reason of predicting behavior is not so I can manipulate someone. I want to predict behavior so I can, for myself, reasonably predict what I can expect you to do. <laughs> because right. if I put an expectation of you that's way above what you can reasonably do and you fall short, then I get angry and then our relationship's blown. So I just like being able to understand what I can reasonably expect you to do so we can create uh, keep and create a very good, healthy relationship for each other. And so, yeah, that's, I, I'd say that's probably the most dramatic one in there. <laughs> yeah. So how did you find yourself operating in such a quote unquote tense situation? And maybe it wasn't tense for you in particular, but especially for our country, especially after nine 11, right. Yeah. Where, you know, the, and, listen, not even just our country, but the world at that point was, you know, tense. And I remember I was only in fourth grade when 9-11 happened. But um, thinking back, like, I mean, my, my mother worked right across the street from the World Trade Center. My father worked in the city. Yeah, like, I worked, it, yeah, it was it was a tough time. And it was super tense. So how did you find yourself operating in that, you know, in that type of situation? And especially because you're doing such meaningful work for our country, nonetheless. You know, it's so funny when you're in those moments, you don't feel like you're doing meaningful work. As a matter of fact, during that whole time period, um, I used to say to myself every day, you know, I didn't do anything to save the world today. I got to try harder tomorrow. And you go home at the end of the day after trying to do what you felt was anything you could. And you looked at it at retrospect at the end of the day and you're like, I didn't do anything. I got to try harder tomorrow. So, you know, I quickly, well, not quickly, it took me about a year to realize you can't save the world, but you can make a difference one person at a time. Right. And so what happened back then was I, I remember right after um, 9-11, I had, I had a number of confidential human sources. I, was, I, I worked well with people. I, I enjoyed working confidential human sources. I mean, I wasn't firing on all cylinders yet with everyone. I, I, I could work with, you know, people really well, basically my customers. <laughs> and 
at the time my primary interest was uh, Russia, you know, so I was my, my, I was a Russian agent, you know, not, I was working Russia, you know, as a counterintelligence agent. And so I went to all my sources that we were all working Russia and I said, Hey, get off them now. We need Middle East. Anyone can help me with Middle East. And so I actually had Leo, the character in the book, um, he shifted his, his abilities from working Russia to, he found this guy Anon and it, was, it took about two weeks and he says, I need you, you know, I think you should come on out here. We should have a little chat and meet this guy. I think you're going to really like what he has to say. <laughs> it really happened like that, you know, and, but that's, just, that's a key in life. You know, if you have great relationships, it's that, it's that six separations of Kevin Bacon saying, you know, like if you talk to a number of people, you can find anyone that's got some sort of separation from Kevin Bacon or any celebrity or anyone. And okay. so you might not know the exact person that you need to accomplish what you need to accomplish, but I guarantee you, they might know someone who knows someone that does. So the more healthy relationships you have and the depth of those relationships, the greater your opportunity to serve not only your own priorities, but if you take care of their priorities, again, with no expectation of reciprocity first, they become inspired to want to become part of your team because I, mean, I always, I love this analogy. It's like you think about the greatest, healthiest relationships you have with people in your life. Think about the greatest one. How often during your last conversation or interaction with them did you seek their thoughts and opinions, talk in terms of their priorities, validate them without judging them, and give them choices? roughly five to 10% tops. And so when you start doing that, 100% of everything that comes out of your mouth, every action you take, and every email you send, the power of that relationship is going to be deep, and they're going to want to reciprocate. But you can't expect it because that becomes manipulation. But And how do you counter that? Transparency. So it really came down to I was starting to fire on those cylinders during that time period. It was like, hey, I got to talk as many people as I can, make as many good health relationships as I can, tell them what's important, you know, to to national security, and see who comes up with what. Right. Right. Now, Robin, you mentioned six signs of predictive behavior. Now, I don't yeah. want to give too much away. I want people. Oh, to, sure, I want people not only get this book. <laughs> I, I want. I want people to get all of your books. So, um, I, I would love to dive into that because I'm over here with the pen and pad now. I'm curious. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, sign one: vesting. That's what I'm looking for. So, vesting is how vested are they in your success? Because you know. So, you know, let's let's quickly reverse it, and I'll go back a step first. So, my last book was called The Code of Trust, and what The Code of Trust is really focused on is a lot of things we've been talking about here. Is, what behavior can I exhibit to inspire someone to want to trust me? Because that's ultimately what we're doing. We're trying to sell something or do something. We're trying to have someone trust us and build a relationship with us so we can exchange resources, right? So what this book is, instead of focusing on the behaviors I need, now I'm going to look at the other person to see what behaviors they have and see if they're equally vested in me. So the first one is that first sign of vesting. Now they're using language and actions that they're demonstrating that they're interested in my success. The second one is longevity. Are they also using actions, words, and living in a way where they're demonstrating they're looking for a longer relationship than a short quid pro quo? Third is reliability. Can they actually do what they say they can do on paper or verbally? In other words, are they have, do they have both confidence in, in the actions that they're saying they have? And then do they have the diligence and ability to follow through on those things? Fourth is actions. I love actions. Actions is that, that thing that we all see all the time, that, that definition of crazy. You know, if you see something done once or twice and you don't change, what's the, what's the reality it's going to change on a third or fourth? It's not. So I'm looking for actions on the past patterns of key behaviors. Because if I see you do something once, twice, or three times, the likelihood of you doing it the same way a fourth time, pretty dang high. Now, the cool thing is if it does change, well, then there's been a new stimulus added there, so I can find out what's new. Uh, five, language. Language is, so we've talked about it already, seeking the thoughts and opinions of others. You talk in terms of their priorities. You validate them without judging them, and you empower them with choices. What I'm now doing is I'm now reversing. Are they using that language with me? That's the language I'm looking for. And my sixth, which is the bedrock of all, emotional stability. <laughs> in other words, do they overreact when faced with stress, anxiety, or, or do they maintain a good cognitive brain and work through it? And so each one of these, not, I don't know anyone that has all six signs, you know, spiked, you know, if you're on a scale of one to 10, I don't know anyone spiking tens in them all. But what you want to do is you want to just kind of see where everyone's at with them all so that you know what you can reasonably expect and predict in different areas. And so, you know, areas to avoid. And even if there's, it's like, I don't, cause I don't ever say I only, I trust this person to do anything. No, we, we trust people basically predict people to do something in one area 
maybe not something in another area. They're good in this area. They're not good in this area. This helps you figure that out and not become resentful when you, when they fall short of one area, because you know, they're going to fall short because they don't have these things. So let's focus on this area. So that's it in a nutshell. I love that. Now this is also applicable on a personal level too, right? I mean, right. I mean, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking like, Oh my God, I need to run this through every woman that I'm dating. You know, this is, uh, This is powerful, man. I appreciate that share. That is absolutely huge. You know, so, so I, and that's, and I, I'm sorry, I, was, I didn't mean to cut you off, Matt, but that's exactly what happened when I did all this stuff. You know, I, I, I discovered all these processes of interacting with human beings when I got uh, down to Quantico. They asked me to come down to Quantico, the FBI Academy, and start teaching. And when I took over the behavioral team. And at that point in my life and career, I was everything I was doing, I was doing to try to be successful at work. Again, very me-centered focused. And I was trying to be a great you know, special counterintelligence agent. Right. Right. So, but as soon as I started giving these labels and meanings to things and start understanding, wow, this is what I was doing at work. And this is this, that's when I started realizing, Oh my God, you know, I'm not just interacting with human, human beings at work. I'm actually interacting with human beings everywhere. So there's no difference. This is fully translatable to any aspect of your life. You know, whether I'm translating from how recruiting spies is exactly like selling a product or how I'm, you know, working with my kids, you know, my wife, my neighbors, the the process of understanding others and making that human connection and creating good, healthy relationships is the same everywhere. Right. A hundred percent, man. This is huge. So going back to the book, if people could only take one thing away from this one, what would you want that to be and why? Take one thing away and why? I want them to understand that there's a great process to understand and connect with other human beings and that the whole purpose of it is to create good, healthy, strong relationships for mutual benefit of everyone. Right. I think they're going to, you know, they're definitely going to get that after listening to this episode. That's what the whole episode has been around. I absolutely love it. And um, what do you feel like made you want to write this book now at this point in your career? It, believe it or not, was a, a pretty funny natural evolution. The, you know, the first book I wrote was, it's not all about me, the 10 techniques, the quick rapport. I self-published that, you know, back in 2010, because a friend of mine, you know, Chris Hagnagy, uh, social engineer, and another great friend of mine, Joe Navarro, wrote a great book, What Everybody is Saying, retired FBI agent, world-renowned nonverbal expert. All they kept saying to me was, publish, publish, publish. And at that time, I was focused on how do you build rapport? And so that book came out. Then what I realized after I worked on doing that live for all these years, well, what's the purpose of rapport? Well, trust. Oh, so that kind of evolved. All right. So how do I develop trust? And so that kind of evolved. And the whole, the way you focus and develop trust with someone is by focusing on the other person. And I have all these tools for focusing and understanding the other person. And what happened was I started realizing that the more you focus on other people, the more predictable they become. And it's like, well, that, and so there you go. It became a natural evolution with just understanding others and understanding at the root and core, all of us are going to act in our own best interests. All I have to do is figure out what you think is in your best interest in terms of your safety, security, and prosperity. And I now know exactly what you're going to do. Right. That is amazing, man. I love it. I love it. So listen, you've given us a ton of advice here. What is a piece of advice that you were given during your time with the FBI that you feel like stood out the most to you? Like the best piece of advice you've been given? Actually, I'm going to go back further than the FBI. <laughs> yeah, please do. Please do. Um, so, and it came, it came out of nowhere. Matter of fact, I, when I was at Paris Island, my last thing I did there, as I told you, I worked at the depot operations and I was a training officer there. And we we're in, implementing this, this finalizing course in the Marine Corps called the Crucible culminating event. And it was a, it was a big deal, hard work, a lot of work. And anyway, I worked for a Marine Corps Lieutenant Colonel at the time. And he was also a Naval Academy graduate. And I love this guy. This guy is very inspiring to me. And a matter of fact, I bumped into him at a Navy football game about a month ago and I hadn't seen him since. And I told him exactly what I'm going to share with you all now. I, I told him what he told me and how it impacted my life. He said to me one time, he goes, Robin, never tell me no, only tell me yes but tell me what it'll cost me. And that, wow. that, that's a, it's a powerful thing because that actually honors my whole language in the code of trust. In other words, talk in terms of someone else's priorities and empower them with choice. And that's exactly what he told me to do. He said, talk in terms of what I want to do with my priorities, but just tell me the cost and benefit analysis of all the different options. And so, and that's what, you know, being a resource for the success and prosperity of others is. You're, un, you're not telling them, no, they can't do something. You're actually telling them what their options are and what the cost of each of those are. And then you're empowering them with choice about how to move forward with it. 
that quote right there is so freaking meaningful. <laughs> and, all right. So let me just make sure I got that right. Never tell me no, only tell me yes, but tell me the cost. Yes. I love that. That is huge, man. Now on the flip side of the question, I just asked you, asked you, what was a piece of advice you didn't want to hear at the time it was given to you, but proved to be true over time? Yeah. I want to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I'd say, let's go back to that same time in Marine Corps. And I'd said it earlier, you know, when they told me, um, make about everyone else, but yourself. And that basically I sucked. Um, I didn't want to hear that, you know, hearing that you suck and having a humbling moment like that. I did not want to hear that. Um, I was accepting it, but I didn't believe it because it wasn't tangible to me because I didn't know what to do because no one could tell me what to do. But ultimately they're completely hundred percent right. I needed to make it about everyone else but myself, but I just had no idea how I spent my, I spent literally the rest of my life trying to figure it out. I was just going to ask you, how long do you feel like it took you to actually come to the realization of that? Well, you know, I, I think everyone's born with a, a, a certain ability. The only ability I was born with at this point in time was I never blamed anyone else for the things that happened to me. So when I had a humbling moment, I didn't, I didn't call everyone else an idiot. I said, all right, I must be the idiot. And so, you know, that, so that began then, you know, with life's humbling moments and you, and you start mimicking behaviors of others. You got on the job training, you know, so there's no real great courses out there. So it really became a journey about how to actually make a, a life course about how to take a non-natural born leader and make them the, one of the greatest leaders in the world by knowing and understanding all these things. In other words, all these great leaders that are naturally out there doing these things, I wanted them to under, first of all, I wanted them to understand what they were actually doing so they could teach and mentor and guide better. And I wanted others that didn't have it yet to be able to get it faster and understand how to do it. And so it, it was, it was nonstop and still isn't nonstop. I mean, I'm my, uh, my good friend, Cam, who writes the book with me, you know, we're already tinkering with the next one. And so, but the coach, I'd say the, the final sh shift really started happening when I was at Quantico and I started teaching on uh, this stuff to other agents. And I started uh, running the team because in order to really be effective when you're, trying to pass on knowledge to others, you can't make it about yourself. You gotta make it about others. I mean, in fact, probably one of the greatest quotes I was given when I first became an instructor at Quantico, um, God, I, I had such good teachers, mentors, and guides around me, and, and this is another great one. And he, what he said to me, he goes, he says, as an instructor, in a, in a, as a teacher, mentor, and guide, your job is to give them what they need, not what you want to give them. And right. so that was also profound. Again, what's that? It's reversing it and making about them, and don't start doing victory laps on the things you've done. <laughs> Yeah, a hundred percent. So would you actually, I guess, what's the word I'm looking here? Would you um, give credit to that piece of advice that you didn't want to hear in regards to piquing your interest to be that leader or oh, did you have, oh, okay. Hands wow. Down. Wow. So that was meaningful. That, that whole, you know, that, that was kind of like a, we'll call it the quote unquote turning point, I guess, in a way that's, that's huge. Well, I've had a few of them. I think everyone has a few of them. You know, if, if people, again, you talked about having that, you know, fill in yourself first so you can understand and let go of your own insecurities. When you can do that, you can actually take a look at your humbling moments you had in life. And each, each time you were humbled, you know, take accountability for your actions in it. And what are you going to do about it? I mean, right. I remember I had, plenty of humbling moments at the Naval Academy. I mean, <laughs> my dream was to be an aerospace engineer. I failed out of that my second year. <laughs> yeah. I had to be a Navy pilot. My eyes went bad my second year. <laughs> I went right. on a ship for the first time. I, I, I got seasick like an animal. So I just like, I got to go Marine Corps. I mean, all these things <laughs> just give you your moments in life where you're like, all right, I got to adjust. I got to adjust. I got to adjust. And the thing yeah. is, all those things, I was still focused on things but what have made my life so much easier in hindsight, and this is what I've always worked with my own kids on. It's my son's at Naval Academy too. Let go of the things. Keep walking in the path of what you're trying to do. But if you focus on the relationships, the relationships will be there to catch you and move you on to the thing you were meant to do. Right. I love that. That's huge, man. Listen, and I think our course getting redirected in, in the many ways you've alluded to, I, I could resonate with that on a high level, um, multiple different, uh, you know, occasions in my life. I think that's just the part of it, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, we, we all have a destined path, no matter what we believe in, I'm not trying to get spiritual or anything, but uh, it's just, that's a part of life. You know, that's a part of life. So I appreciate you sharing that because it's definitely something that a lot of people need to hear. And uh, when you're able to accept it, you know, that's when you could really start to thrive, you know? And Matt, here's the, here's the also golden key to that too. And I'm a big believer in what you just said, but what I've noticed in the last, cause I, I've been the sort of code of trust. I, I kind of invented the, my code of trust, kind of labeled it and gave it meaning back in 2013. And that's when 
that was probably where I, I did a, my most major current flip of who I am and how I interact. And what started happening when I started really focusing on that, and I focused on those relationships. That's when I started realizing that your options you have in the path you want to take become much greater because of all these healthy relationships in all these other different areas I never focused on before. So yeah, you're going to walk that path. But if you folk, if you want to shift that path, the only way you're going to shift that path is not by brute force and strength of the things you're going to accomplish. The only way you're going to shift that path is becoming, having good, healthy relationships with other people already on that path. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Now, Robin, listen, you've done a ton of meaningful work, not even just with the FBI. You've also served our country. You're putting out amazing books just like this and content to be able to help people level up in their lives. So if you could only be remembered for one thing, what would you want that one thing to be and why? Boy, it's hard not to say and get choked up. Um, Good husband, father and friend. I love that. I love that. Yeah, man. Family is everything. Family is absolutely everything. And husband, you know what? just that, you know, I did all I could with all I had to give to my family, friends and uh, loved ones. That's huge. That's huge. I appreciate that share, man. Listen, uh, it, it's okay to get choked up over things like that, man. Uh, that, that's <laughs> why we're working so questions. hard. That, that's your why. That's exactly what your why is. And I think that's the, yeah. the biggest takeaway from it right there. You know, people need to have something that will choke them up, something that will make them emotional, that will help them to keep striving through. Because at the end of the day, we all know um, it's not peaches and cream, right? Life is never peaches and cream. Um, it is on occasion, but at the end of the day, we're going to face turbulence and road bumps, roadblocks. That's exactly why we have individuals just like you on here, being able to allude to those points in your life and letting people know the realities of it and being fully transparent. So I appreciate that. Anytime, Matt. You know, it's funny, about about two or three years ago, you know, as my career is coming to an end, you know, in one phase of my life and I'm moving on to doing what I'm doing now full time. Um, that's when it really hit me when I, because my, my daughter's about to graduate as a nurse from college. My son's in his second year at the Naval Academy, extremely, both of them extremely successful. And it's, and really a lot of it, it took a, it took a village. It took a village of their teachers, their guidance counselors, us as parents, you know, and it really, that's when it hit me that, you know, I was, I was, I'm on this earth to be a resource for the success of the people around me because I've learned so much about what not to do. And everyone, at least I'm, I'm trying to get everyone to listen about what not to do so they can be a hell of a lot more successful and prosperous and take care of others than I did. Right. A hundred percent. Now, what do you feel like was that, you know, that, that time or that moment that made you realize like it's time for me to be a resource? Um, that was actually back when I was still in the FBI with the Academy. Um, when I was running the, the behavioral team, it was our, our, my whole job was to bring resources to case agents in the field, trying to protect national security. You know, they had a case that was up, it was tough. They didn't know what to do. And so being a resource for them was the first, was the first real good dose of, of doing it more proactively. Again, you know, I've got a career of lifetime of service to country, but that was, that was a big one. But then when it came to doing all this in writing, it really, again, goes back to my friend, Joe Navarro. I literally, I talked to Joe yesterday and I gave, I always give him so much credit every time we chat. And I said, Joe, I said, you told me something, you know, when we first met 15, 20 years ago and I've held it in my heart and I still do it every time he goes, if you as a human being has information, anyone else could benefit from shame on you for not getting it to him. Right, right. That's huge. Wow. That is huge. I love that. So listen, I want to respect your time here. Last question for you. This is a big one, by the way. If you could only give one piece of universal advice, and you've given plenty, if you could only give one piece of universal advice to any and all people that ask for it from here on out, what would that be? Never judge others. Seek to understand. Never judge others. Love that. And it's not mean, I'm not saying you need to agree with them. It's seek to understand how they're living lives from their context because you're never going to build a bridge and under and build any kind of relationship without it. And you can't do anything out without relationships. So that's right. That's huge. That's huge. So Robin, listen, first and foremost, I want to express my gratitude again for you hopping on here, adding a ton of value to the show. I'm going to make sure that all of your social handles and social links are in the show notes of this episode so people can stay connected with you. I'm going to also make sure that um, sizing people up, the link to that is in the show notes of this episode. Do you prefer people getting it on your website or Amazon or? Whatever you think works best. You, you are the expert. And Matt, I got to tell you, you are a fantastic interviewer. You took all the great stuff I've heard other people do and you hit a lot of different areas you're you're you are definitely walking your path i can't believe you're only 27 yeah, that's 
<laughs> I appreciate it, man. Listen, we, we launched this show a little over a year ago. We started December 4th of 2018. And um, when I listen to that first interview, I say to myself, holy shit, I need to take this down. But, uh, you know, I, I definitely appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we're going to continue growing. And when that new book comes out, I know you said you're already working on another one. When that <laughs> comes out, you're more than welcome to hop back on here. I really, you know, I truly enjoyed this conversation. Me too. You are a master. You know, it's so funny The when I interview people to come on my team, you know, they get some experience, you know, interviewing. I mean, no one has near the experience of doing interviews like guys like you. You do more interviews in, in, a, in a week than most agents and, and cops do in a month or, or a year because, and you become very practiced on demonstrating curiosity, demonstrating value, seeking the, I mean, every, all those four things you do during the course of interview and you do it fantastically. And you know how I know it? Because I feel great right now. And that's because of you. I appreciate that, Robin. Listen, the feeling is most definitely mutual. This was, uh, this was a, an amazing episode, and I know that everyone that's tuned into this is most definitely going to uh, resonate with all of the points you made. So again, I appreciate awesome, it. And uh, like I said, you're more than welcome to come back anytime you want. And likewise, if you need anything, if, if anyone cancels on you last time, or you let me, I am always here for you too, Matt, anything you need. And there you have it from my guy, Robin Dreek himself. Now, first and foremost, before moving any further, I wanna make sure that you are connecting with Robin on social, letting him know that you heard him here on Decoding Success, because listen, I want Robin back, man. I had such an amazing conversation with him, and I'm so glad that we're able to amplify this to all of you. So make sure you tell him, hey, I heard you on Decoding Success. You can find all of his social handles in the show notes of this episode. But on top of that, and probably more important than that, I wanna make sure that you are peaked on the interest of buying his book. His book is an absolute game changer and you want to know what? He has more than one out. Obviously, we brought him on to promote Sizing People Up, the new book that just released on the 21st of this month, but I want to make sure that you are out there getting his book and all of the valuable information that is within inside of it because his information and his experiences working with the FBI and beyond, working inside of businesses large and small, could drastically revolutionize and change the trajectory of your path this year. Again, we are still in the early stages of the year. So make sure you are making positive and effective decisions to be able to skyrocket and take you to where you want to be with your goals. And now to that point, I want to break down very briefly three things that resonated with me on a super, super high level. Number one is the fact that we are still hardwired like we are fucking primal. And when you think about it, you know, when it comes to being a part of a tribe, aka a clique or trying to fit in and so so many other things it's like yo we need to work on rewiring ourselves to the point where we are able to thrive in the way that we want to thrive because if not we are doing the same thing our ancestors and our parents did over and over and over again you just heard an episode earlier this month about the ham in the oven if you haven't listened to that i highly suggest listening to it it talks about this to an absolute t so talking about hardwiring and being able to rewire ourselves it's just that was like a topic this month. And I really, really suggest you check out that last episode if you haven't yet. Secondly, I wanna talk about shifting from ourselves to shifting others, shifting our attention from ourselves to others. Now, of course, we also mentioned the fact like, do we need to have our cup full before doing so and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, Robin gave three amazing points about how you can shift from yourself to others. And I'm not gonna go into all three. Again, if you skip through this episode or whatever the case is, I want you to listen to it because he breaks it down phenomenally. But one thing that stood out to me is being a resource without expectations. I think that is absolutely huge in all aspects of life, whether that's in business or in just your personal relationships. Like you should be a giver. You should be a giver. You should be able to provide people if you have the access to provide them with what they need, provide it. At the end of the day, don't expect anything back. Don't want anything back. Don't try and barter or exchange. Just give. If you have access to it and it's not gonna cost you an arm or a leg, then fucking do it. Just give with no expectation. And then lastly, one of the things that really stood out to me were the six signs of predictive behavior, whether that's vesting or being reliable or are they reliable, actions, language, emotional stability. Having these things in place is almost impossible to have them all at the scale of 10, as Robin mentioned, but the next time you are dating someone, the next time you are talking to about hiring someone or whatever the case is, I think this is an amazing scale to keep in mind all six of these points. The six signs of their predictive behavior because you're gonna be able to understand who they are from the get-go. And of course, things might change as Robin mentioned, you know, you know, 
two times in a row someone might make an action that you don't like or whatever the case is, they prove they're not reliable, but then the next 10 times they are, something might have changed. And I think that's very much so possible, but I think the six signs of predictive behavior was probably my favorite part of this episode. And Robert, I want to give you a huge shout out for breaking that down for us and elaborating and alluding to all of these points. I truly do appreciate it. So once again, point number one was hardwiring and rewiring ourselves. We are fucking primal individuals. And if we want to thrive in today's day and age, we need to rewire ourselves in a pretty consistent manner. Then I also talked about, or Robin talked about, and this is a point I love, shifting from oneself to others through different things. And the point that I really Really resonated with on a high level was being a resource without expectation and then lastly the six points of predictive behavior I am most definitely going to listen to them over and over and over again and you want to know what I won't doubt me keeping the you know like a little piece of post-it or something in my wallet with them written down because I am going to be vetting people hard as fuck with those six signs of predictive behavior so Robin I want to give you a huge shout out once again make sure you are connecting with him on social let him know you heard him here on decoding success on top of that be on the lookout for all of his books they are all released as of january 21st and he has a new one that's coming out as he mentioned during this episode on top of that huge shout out to my agency 1b branding doing a huge 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 sponsorship of this show by allowing all of our listeners to receive a complimentary brand audit again reach out to us you can find our information in the show notes of this episode until next time everyone be blessed peace